Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean Advocate is Caitlin Cucinata. Caitlin is a conservation biologist in Florida determined to rid the oceans of marine debris. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I know it's a little earlier for you in California, so good morning. Thank you. Yeah, so um, to give our listeners a little bit of background uh, about Caitlin and I and how we met, uh, we actually grew up in South Florida just like an hour apart um, our whole lives, but we only met about last year, um, and we actually met via Instagram. Um, we both are really active on social media trying to promote our ocean conservation messages, so um Pretty cool that we met through Instagram. We went, we went snorkeling and did a little underwater cleanup, so that was pretty cool. But I wanted to kind of start at the beginning, um, Caitlin. I wanted to learn a bit about your childhood in regards to the ocean and kind of where your passion stems from. Um, I imagine we have somewhat similar childhood stories to the ocean growing up in similar places. But um, yeah, can you just touch on how the ocean kind of shaped your passion growing up? Yeah, so... Like you said, I grew up in South Florida, in Boynton Beach to be exact, and my dad's a surfer, my brother's a surfer, my mom is a beach freak, so I grew up at the beach almost more than I wanted to be um, at the time, and I remember always seeing trash on the beach, but most, uh, I guess, memorable um, was we were out in our boat in the intercoastal waterway, and I remember looking over the side one day and we always saw weird things like, you know, fishing line or fishing, whole fishing poles would show up sometimes. But we were going up towards Peanut Island, a pretty popular island in South Florida. And I remember a television floated past our boat. And uh, I was probably like eight or nine at the time. So it's not like I could go start a website and start a initiative and do something about it that was too uh, grand, but this moment shaped my life. And I realized then that there's no excuse for a TV being in the, in the waterway, um, let alone this waterway where there's manatees and mangrove islands and tons of wildlife. And I just couldn't understand why it was there. So, um, that was one major moment, but I just, I grew up around it. Even when I learned to surf, I'd be out in the lineup in Lake Worth, Florida, and there'd be spoons floating by or plastic bags. And that's like scarier to me than a shark swimming by. So I knew I needed to do something about it. And when I left for college, I had a chance to study environmental science. And I always planned on taking that degree and my education and knowledge and bringing it back here to South Florida to hopefully make some changes in our marine environment and how we treat the ocean. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I I can only imagine um, being an eight or nine year old kid and seeing a TV float <laughs> by. Um, that's really crazy. But I, I love that you, you know, you held on to that. You held on to the, you know, the TV moment and the, you know, spoons floating by. And and as you got older, you really 
you really made something from it, which is great. So you, you mentioned, you know, you went and studied environmental science um, and you went to University of South Florida in St. Pete. Yes. Is that right? Exactly. And that's a great school right on the water. And I knew when I left for college that I couldn't go somewhere like Gainesville because it's so landlocked. And I was so happy to find a great program right on the water in St. Pete where I could study environmental science and policy. And um, I was surrounded by the Fish and Wildlife Service right there and NOAA and the Coast Guard. So it's a really cool marine science hub in Florida. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good situation. Um, Was the major environmental science and policy or was it kind of there was an environmental science major and then you added the policy in there? Nope. The degree is um, environmental science and policy. So everyone that goes through it takes all the science courses up to organic chemistry and Calc 2 and all that. And then you also take a ton of policy and kind of more human behavior based classes. So it's a really good, well-rounded program. And I, I was lucky to focus on more marine studies through the program. That sounds great. I think that's really valuable that you had those policy courses and the environmental science because, you know, they go hand in hand. If you, if you want to make any environmental change happen, you're going to need to have some laws put into place. So that's really cool. I'm sure that's really valuable to you today. Absolutely. And then so you got a master's at Nova Southeastern University. And can you tell us a little bit about your master's work? Yeah, so I'm actually still in the program. Um, I started in May of 2014. Um, It's a master's of arts degree in marine and coastal studies. So similar to my undergraduate bachelor's of science degree, it's not just marine science or marine biology, but it's more of a communications-based degree. So I'm studying coastal policy, coastal law, as well as marine bio and all kinds of real strict science courses like shark biology. And um, right now I'm in an oceanography class. So it's a it's about a two year program, but I'm taking it slow with my full time job and I'll end up with a portfolio based on five core courses. I'm hoping I'll come out with a really great communications foundation to go with strong understanding of marine science. And right now I have the uh, certificate completed in coastal studies, but I have about five more courses towards the master's degree. Okay. So I wasn't aware that you were actually still in that master's program. So I'm, you know, that's amazing that you're doing that and working a (laughs) full-time job and having all these other initiatives that we'll get into a little bit later. But I think that's so important in this field of ocean conservation and and ocean activism um, to have that science background and knowledge, you know, to really be like having that in-depth knowledge of the science and the ecology and the biology of these organisms and environments in the ocean, but then also to have that policy background, have that communications background, because, you know, like we met on Instagram, that's a communication platform. Mm -hmm. You know, you need those you have to be able to talk to the public. You have to be able to talk to scientists with your science background and then also, you know, policymakers. So that's really cool. That sounds like an amazing program. I should join it. You should. <laughs> um, There's not too many of us in it. So join me. Yeah, that would be awesome. Definitely something um, I'll look into. And if any of our listeners are interested in doing a master's in this field, that sounds like a really great program at uh, NOVA. 
So I wanted to talk a little bit about your initiative called Prophecy, your organization. Mm -hmm. And can you kind of just tell us the, you know, the goals of Prophecy, its mission, and then also when it started? Um, Yeah. So when I was working at uh, NOAA Fisheries, I was doing GIS as a contractor for uh, the Southeast region. And a friend of mine there, he is a natural resource specialist, but he's kind of obsessed with fighting the shark finning trade. And he knew that I was obsessed and kind of freaking out every day about marine debris because we would see it right outside of the NOAA office in the canal right there. So we wanted to put our heads together and start a blog basically about ocean conservation issues and what people can do to fix some of these problems like every day. And what we originally started was a Facebook page linked to just a plain old blog where we both wrote about topics that were frustrating us and what was going on in the marine conservation world that everyday citizens might not have known about. And um, this was called Shark Bites. And then with Shark Bites, I started Take 4 Florida. So I think, Allison, I think that's when you and I hooked up because I was posting Instagram photos all the time for it. And Take Mm 4 Florida. Yeah, you remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you gave me a sticker when we met that said Take 4 Florida. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Take 4 Florida was an initiative to get everyone to take four pieces of trash, um, no matter where they were, if you're on a mountaintop or if you're sitting at the beach or diving. So you take four pieces of trash, you take a photo of it, and you send it in. And I was lucky enough to get a couple donations from artists and different local organizations so that about monthly I could send a prize to the person that either sent in the most Take 4 Florida and it, sorry, it's hashtag take the number four and then Florida photos. So you post your photo on Instagram and then use that tag and I could see it um, in my feed and either choose a winner based on, like I said, whoever posted the most or whoever found the strangest item of debris, which was fun because we find things like toilet seats sometimes in mangroves. And uh, this was just kind of to get a movement going, get people to pick up trash. Even though it's not theirs, the prizes kind of give you a a reason to get out there. So we needed a platform for Take 4 Florida. And then my partner with this blog, he was using Finban for Florida because the trade of shark fins, I'm not sure right now, but it was at the time actually legal in Florida. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it still is. Uh, we would know if Florida had passed that ban. But he was using fin ban for Florida. And we had both of those running on the website. And we actually opened up a domain called prophecy.org. P-R-O-P-H-E-S-E-A. So the meaning behind that was speaking up for the uh, what's below, giving a voice to everything below the sea surface, and just bringing light to what's happening in our oceans. And that was our platform for Take 4 Florida and uh, Finban for Florida. And I was running this while I was at NOAA Fisheries and then also carried on into my job with NOVA, Southeastern University. So I was a research assistant there for about a year and Prophecy was growing. And Joe and I, my partner, were planning on turning this into a nonprofit. So do you want me to get into how I 
I got where I am now, or do you want to ask me anything else about prophecy real quick? Um, yeah, I, I just had a, a few questions about prophecy. Um, when you, you started with this guy, Joe, um, <laughs> kind of doing the shark bites blog and then it kind of morphed into prophecy, but, but throughout the whole process, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible that you were able to, to start something yourselves, you know, um, can you talk a little bit about the inspiration that you had to have and the, the passion for the ocean? Because, you know, it's scary and it's nerve wracking to start something from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I really think that you have to have a deep and, and meaningful passion about something, which it sounds like, uh, this guy, Joe, really had a passion about, you know, shark finning, and, and I'm sure uh, you did as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, can you talk a little bit about, like, how easy it was or how difficult it was to start something like this, literally from nothing, <laughs> um, for you? Yeah, so it all happened real quickly, to be honest. Um, I was home in Boynton Beach one weekend from St. Petersburg, and I went to get in the water and actually boogie board, which is kind of embarrassing, but I love boogie boarding. And I got out of the water from like a nice little drift down the beach and walked about two football fields. And in those football fields, those couple hundred yards, I picked up a clothes hanger, a whole burlap sack, a couple shoes, and then whatever, probably plastic forks and things. And I freaked out, actually. Um, I grabbed my phone, I took a photo, And I had seen other initiatives in Hawaii and Australia, things like uh, Take Take Three Hawaii and um, other just social media campaigns for cleaning up the oceans. And I decided to start Take Four Florida. And I wasn't sure if my friends would be supportive or receptive to this at all, but I ended up getting the most Instagram likes I've ever had, which doesn't mean much to me until it's something I really care about like this. And I had people in the UK, um, in California, in Canada, in Australia, all over the place, posting photos with the hashtag take for Florida and they're trash in the photo. So that right there just drove me forward in such a fast pace and um, everything blew up and everyone was interested in it. And it, it felt great because I mean, I had this burning passion, but I didn't know who else would care about it because we all see this every day and people just kind of walk by the trash on the beach. But I was calling attention to it and I had a good, great following right away. So that helped me motivate me to keep this going. And then also Joe, he has a crazy burning passion to fight shark finning. And he if you sit down with him, he can talk about that topic for hours. We'd actually done that before. That's how we we knew we needed to work together. So that's really what made it doable was the motivation that I got from people I had never met or seen or knew in any way. Yeah, I think I think it's a really great story and um one that's that's really inspiring to me and to hopefully whoever's listening. You met this person, you know, Joe, in real life that was physically, you know, in front of you. And, uh, you know, you inspired each other. You you felt you had really strong passions about similar topics. And that kind of inspired you initially to take the maybe the first baby step. But then 
all these people that you have never met in your life, you've never seen them, you've never physically been in the same room, they lit the fire and they really got you even more inspired and more um, motivated to keep this going. So it's it's really cool because you can get inspired by someone that's physically around you, but you can also get inspired by the people that we can meet through the internet and, and social media. And, and it, it's it's such a cool thing. And obviously we met through social media, so... Um, mm-hmm. Again, really, really cool. So you had all this positive momentum from Take for Florida and Prophecy and all these people believing in you and, and inspiring you as well through their actions. And then you kind of switched Take for Florida at one <laughs> point um, from my perspective to Take for Sea to Shore. And that's because you started working with Sea to Shore Alliance, which is a, a really cool marine conservation nonprofit that's kind of around the globe doing different projects, but they hired you on to tackle the marine debris issue. So, yeah, do you want to just talk a little bit about how you got started with Sea to Shore and, and how you took this initiative that you started yourself, Take for Florida, and kind of just transitioned it in order to work with, with their organization, which I think is really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So while I was doing Prophecy and running the Take for Florida campaign, and trying to start a nonprofit with Joe, um, I was working at a, as a graduate research assistant, like I said, for Nova, Southeastern University. So I was diving almost every day of the week. And we were working on the coral nursery in Fort Lauderdale, as well as a couple other South Florida coral reef projects. So that took a ton of my time. And I was also in grad school and trying to run all these things. So I was kind of frustrated that every day I was working on the reefs monitoring corals, I would see trash and that wasn't part of my job, but I would totally take the time when my dive partners weren't looking and I would clean up the reef and my passion never stopped. So I had the chance to go to Surf Expo uh, last year and I actually went there representing Take Fort Florida and I was trying to talk to different groups about their perspective on starting a nonprofit. And I ran into Sea to Shore Alliance, which is the nonprofit I now work for. So I was promoting Take for Florida to the one of the biologists with Sea to Shore Alliance. And she looked at me when I handed her a sticker and said, you need to talk to Buddy Powell, our founder, because he wants to start a marine debris program and you might be perfect. So the next day, I went back to Expo. I talked to, to Buddy, who Dr. James Powell, um, we call him Buddy for short. Uh, I talked to him about my my initiative, and he was interested in seeing my resume and learning more about all of this. So, I soon took the opportunity to work with Cedar Shore Alliance and run a marine debris program with them. And he wanted me to bring in Take Four Florida, but it was a global initiative. Um, I started it here locally, but like I said, I had hundreds of tagged photos coming in from around the world. So I needed to make it more global and the hashtag take the number four and then see the number two and sure just happened to make more sense. And it kind of, I know it's a long tag, but it kind of rolls off the tongue. And so I brought that into their organization and started Healthy Habitats and Oceans, which is my program. It's H2O for short. And basically, this is a marine debris program 
based on education and awareness. So I outreach to the public as well as to public schools and private schools. So I go in to talk to students and host beach cleanups and dive cleanups uh, all around the state. But I am based in Southeast Florida for the most part. So Take Four Sea to Shore is just one of my initiatives, but it's all part of Sea to Shore Alliance's program, H2O. Great. So so you came into Sea to Shore, them kind of asking you to come in like, wow, you seem like a perfect fit because of this initiative that you had started on your own. And it was an easy transition and, and it sounds like a really good transition to make it, you know, hashtag take four sea to shore. I love that they had a number in their name, you know, C2, the number two shore. And then you had a number in take four right. Florida. So it like really worked out well uh, for, you know, a social media campaign. And then you started the Healthy Habitats and Oceans program. And like you said, you hold monthly cleanups. I think you've adopted a park in the Boynton Beach area. You hold events. Um, and then you also do the monthly prize giveaway, right? For people that hashtag take yeah. four sea to shore. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, I guess I guess my question is, why do you do the prize system? You know, what do you think that helps in, in the cause? So I use prizes during my cleanups as well. And I've been to other cleanups. I've talked to other marine debris coordinators. And some people think it's it's ridiculous to use incentives to get people to clean up the beach. But I'm working with high schoolers, middle schoolers, kids that might not show up to my beach cleanups or send in their post of take four seat ashore without a reason to. So it's kind of to lure people in. And then once, I mean, you feel good when you pick up four pieces of trash and you walk off the beach rather than just stepping on those things or stepping around them and leaving, you feel better about yourself. And you, you also might be a little upset that you have to. And like, this is a bummer that my beach is so dirty, but at least you did something about it. So the prizes are an incentive, but they also are just kind of a kickstarter into, hey, become an ocean steward, you can win something. And if you don't, you're still awesome. And you're still doing something for our ocean playground. I mean, if you're at the beach, or if you're hanging out on a mountain, and that the trash you're picking up could go down the valley could, you know how that works, everything makes its way down into the ocean. So you're doing something about it no matter where you are. And even if you don't win, you're still, I mean, you're becoming more of a steward. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's a great concept. And talking to the general public, like I have some, and I'm sh- I, mean, I know you have a lot about marine debris and picking it up. I mean, many people in the general public are like, why would I pick up someone else's trash? You know, like, <laughs> absolutely. why on earth would I go around and purposely pick up other people's trash? You know, it's dirty and I didn't leave it there. You know, there's all those types of um, excuses and reasons like that. So I think that this prize system, it, it is actually a really great way to kind of lure people in like, hey, you can, you know, win a really cool prize from a surf shop or a cool painting from, you know, an ocean artist. And, you know, you just have to pick up four pieces of trash and then maybe they will realize like, oh, wow, picking up this trash did make me feel good and it wasn't gross and, and it really makes them feel empowered. And I think the the coolest part about a beach cleanup, and I I think you'd probably agree, is that not only is the person removing 
trash from the beach. You know, they're they're picking up their four items or whatever it is. They're doing a whole beach cleanup. But that's motivating them and, and teaching them kind of inadvertently to not leave their trash at the beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a two way street in just having them do one thing. So it's it's really cool. And, and do you get people that, that participate in your beach cleanups and, and events changing their habits to, you know, for instance, not use single use or, or not leave their things at the beach or, you know, kind of changing their lifestyle a bit to once once they see the impacts of marine debris? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. It's funny seeing kids at the cleanups because like last Saturday I had a cleanup at the park that I adopted, which is an inlet park in Boynton Beach. And these kids come back. So they leave with a data sheet, a bucket and some gloves and a grabber if they need one, if they have a hurt back or something, or just for fun. And they they leave with kind of this, okay, let me go get my community service hours and pick up some trash and how soon can I come back attitude. And they come back and they say, weigh my bucket, look at how much stuff we got. And oh my gosh, we found a blah, blah, blah. We found 600 cigarettes. And they, they come back and their minds are blown because it's really strange. You can go to the beach one day and be completely blind to the issue and then go back after learning something about marine debris, whether it's through a podcast or a video on Google, and go back the next day and just look down at your feet and find at least four items almost every time. And so the kids are becoming aware and they see it and they come back freaking out about what they found. There's never a time when someone comes back with an empty bucket or even a, a mostly empty bucket. There's always a ton of trash out there. And I hope that by them seeing that and being disgusted by what they're finding, absolutely, that it encourages different behavior. So um, another example is when I go in the schools, I've been visiting an elementary school pretty often recently. And I talk about the decomposition time of all these different items, like monofilament takes 600 years to break down. And I always ask them, how many of you have been fishing and what happens when your line gets stuck? And they say, well, we cut it. And then when I say, okay, when you cut that line, it takes 600 years for it to break down in the environment. They just kind of look dumbfounded. And we talk about how to become a more responsible fisherman and how to cut the line as close as possible or whatever they can do. And I know that they're going to go home and tell their dad or their grandpa or whoever's taking them fishing that it takes 600 years because these numbers stick in their mind. And then they also, when I talk about plastic bottles and how long they take, uh, they kind of look embarrassed because usually about 60% of the students have a plastic bottle sitting on their desk. And I mean a, a single-use Dasani um, yeah. bottle. And they all look at me and I say, yeah, it takes this long to break down. And they, they're like, uh, and they slide the bottles off their desk and into their backpack or something. And hopefully that means the next day when their mom tries to hand them a plastic bottle, because these are young, young kids, elementary schoolers, they'll educate their parents. And I mean, that's the goal. I never thought I'd have this opportunity that I have with Sea to Shore Alliance to um, actually get into the schools and reach kids whether it's fifth graders or seniors in high school, but I'm really blessed. And I mean, you can see it in their eyes. Uh, once you show them the issue, they get it. And I'm just hoping for the next generation to be more aware than we were, or I guess 
some generation was because the issues here, and I'm not sure who exactly is at fault, but we all are at this point um, if we don't change things. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes, what you just said, that we all are at fault, no matter what generation you're from. You know, everyone likes to say the younger generation is (laughs) the future and the generation that's going to fix everything. And the older generations are, you know, the ones that cause this problem. But yeah, we all are at fault. And and as an eight-year-old kid or, you know, a fifth grader, um, you know, you're not really consciously making a lot of your own decisions. At least you haven't for most of your life yet. But I think especially that age, that elementary school age, it's such a good age for you um, and people like you to be coming in and and kind of, like you said, like blowing these kids' minds, (laughs) you know, altering their perception of things. And I think it's, it's really cool because they are at an influential age and they can teach their parents. And and so I think it's really great, and I think it's great to kind of have an overarching initiative like, hey, this is all of our problem. You know, we all use single-use plastics. We all, you know, have littered in our lifetime or, you know, whether it's on purpose or not on purpose, and, and we can all be part of the solution. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, love your your work with Sea to Shore. I think it's an awesome opportunity Um for you, for Cedar Shore, and for all those kids and, and just the public that you're interacting with, educating them, because it's really, really cool and really important, obviously, to to spread that message. So I guess I wanted to ask you um, one last thing. Do you feel like there's one way in which you have kind of, in which you've tried to spread your message of, you know, ocean conservation and, and marine debris and, you know, stopping plastic pollution and things like that. Do you think that there's one way in which you have felt it's been the most powerful at actually creating change? Um, or do you think it's been a combination of, of all these things that you're doing? I mean, there's certain days where I feel more inspirational or more effective at what I'm doing. But yeah, I think it's a combination because I feed off of every experience that I have as a scientist and as an educator. I mean, in the beginning, I felt like the social media thing was the coolest thing in the world. I mean, I wasn't always a fan of social media. And I, you remember when we were all kind of just annoyed by how people were starting to become obsessed with Facebook and things. And now I think it's I mean, it's amazing. I wouldn't have met you if it wasn't for Instagram and we live about an hour apart. So I think that was one of the coolest uh, routes that I had to reach people because everyone likes to look at an interesting photo. And then if you read the caption, I mean, you do the same thing with your profile. You can tell a story and you can educate people that you wouldn't have really reached otherwise. And I guess, motivate them in a really interesting way. So like they see the issue in the photo, they read the caption, you can teach them some facts right there in the caption. And then through that, invite them out to help. So I think that's been, it might sound funny that social media has been the greatest technique I've used, but it's allowed me to reach people I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I can like I said, post a photo and then invite people to my beach cleanup. And 
maybe a couple of years ago, I would have only had a flyer up on like the county website about my cleanups or on bulletin boards around the city. But now just even fishermen, if I post a photo on their Facebook, like a local Facebook fishing club, those kids might come out or those men and women might come out and I can go in onto surfing Facebook pages and reach that community and really educate people that I couldn't have otherwise. I think I have definitely felt the same power that, that social media can have. And I think it's great that, you know, how you said when we were growing up, there was kind of a time where it was like, oh, well, social media is just <laughs> for liking your friend's pictures of their selfies and, um, you know, like doing kind of just meaningless yeah. things almost. But yeah, I think we've both found social media to be just this incredible tool to, like you said, connect with people that, that you never would be able to connect with before, or it would have taken a lot more effort um, and time. So I think that's really great. And then I think, like you said, it, it is a combination of things. It's not just the social media but there is that kind of really strong power that you feel yeah. um, with it. Even so. even to get, like I can reach out to different teaching education groups through social media, and then those teachers on the Facebook page or group, they learn about what I'm doing and they invite me into their school. So Definitely. Yeah, it's like a, it's a route into schools as well as just into people's conscious thoughts, you know? Yeah, that's great. Well, I really, really appreciate you being on the show today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I, I think that our listeners will be inspired by what you've been able to create and your passion. Um, and I want to also really thank you for creating positive change for the ocean. Um, that's what this podcast is all about, highlighting people like you that are that are really taking the time and initiative to to help the ocean in a positive way. So definitely thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Allison. If I have one more second, I wanted to mention the mobile classroom with Cedar Shore Alliance. Oh, yeah, definitely mention that. Okay, so with Cedar Shore Alliance, my biggest project will be getting a mobile classroom on the road. And this actually is a RV that we're transforming into uh, like, a, like a moving museum slash laboratory. And the goal will be to visit high schools and middle schools and even elementary schools with this bus. So it's kind of an on-site field trip where the teachers don't have to cough up any money and the kids don't have to get any kind of trip um, approved. They can just walk outside their school, climb on the bus, and go through exhibits on entanglement and ingestion of marine debris, as well as how the ocean gyres work. And then do little laboratory experiments like dissections of albatross boluses and things like that. So if you could help out, we have an RV right now. It's, it's getting looked over by a mechanic. And then the, the next step will be retrofitting it as a classroom. And this is not a cheap endeavor. So if you can, any like a single dollar helps, please visit our crowdfunding website and it's called CrowdRise, the platform that we use, and we'll be trying to raise about $10,000 so we can get this thing looking amazing and exciting. In addition to visiting schools, we'll be at festivals like, hopefully, Tortuga Fest, uh, which is in Southeast Florida, and different fishing tournaments so we can 
hit the right audience and make some real improvements. Yeah, and there will be a link to um, that crowdfunding campaign um, on my website and my social media channels uh, once this podcast airs. So definitely check that out. Support Cedar Shore and Caitlin's mobile classroom initiative because sounds like an amazing um, opportunity for kids to and, and the public to learn more. And there also will be links to Caitlin's social media channels um, that she uses for Sea to Shore, where you can hashtag take for Sea to Shore, and then also to her prophecy organization, her social media channels there. So you can connect with Caitlin in so many different ways and see all of the wonderful things that she's doing uh, online. And if you felt inspired by this podcast, I definitely encourage you to reach out to Caitlin. She has lots of great information and inspiration um, for you. So again, Caitlin, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is awesome. Yeah. And re-inspiring for me, actually, to know that what I'm doing is appreciated. So thank you. You just heard Caitlin Cucinata, conservation biologist at Sea to Shore Alliance, determined to rid the oceans of marine debris. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at allisonrandolph.com. And tune in to next week's episode of Ocean Allison to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.